0: for giving me a second to get settled. Donald Miller, in his book, Blue Like Jazz, writes about an experience at Reed College. He says that each year at Reed, they have a festival called Ren Fair. They shut down the campus so students can party. Security keeps the authorities away, and everybody gets pretty drunk and high, and he says some people get naked. It's a wild kind of party where At least as he writes it, nothing seems to be off limits. His friend, Tony, and he were sitting trying to decide how, as a group of Christians that were intentionally building relationships with folks on the campus, how they could have a presence at this kind of a party. Donald jokingly suggested that they should build a confession booth since, you know, in his opinion, everybody would be running around and sinning. He was joking but something clicked for his friend, Tony. And later as they shared their idea with some of their friends, um, Tony gathered everybody's attention. And he said, we're gonna do it. And here's the catch. He leaned in a little and collected his thoughts. We're not actually gonna accept confessions. Donald says, we all looked at him confused. He continued, we're gonna confess to them. We're gonna confess that as followers of Jesus, we have not been very loving. We've been bitter and for that we're sorry. We will apologize for the crusades. We will apologize for those televangelists who steal people's money. We will apologize for neglecting the poor and the lonely. We will ask them to forgive us and we will tell them that in our selfishness, we have misrepresented Jesus on this campus. We will tell people who come into the booth that Jesus loves them. All of us sat there in silence because it was obvious that something beautiful and true had hit the table with a thud. He said, we all thought it was a great idea and we could see it in each other's eyes. It would feel so good to apologize, to apologize for the Crusades, for Columbus, for the genocide he committed in the Bahamas in the name of God. Apologize for missionaries who landed in Mexico and came up through the West slaughtering people, uh, slaughtering Indians in the name of Jesus Christ. I wanted so desperately to say that none of this was Jesus. And I wanted so desperately to apologize for the many ways that I had misrepresented the Lord. I could feel that I had betrayed the Lord by judging, by not being willing to love people he had loved, and only giving lip service to the issues of human rights. Donald says, so we set up to work on the confession booth throughout the beginning of Ren Fair, and people looked over at us the first couple of days with both curiosity and amusement. The further along we got on the booth, though, the more I began to wonder if our idea was such a hot one. <laughs> As we began to put the finishing touches on it, I was in the process of telling Tony that I didn't think this was a good idea and I didn't really want to do it anymore. And someone came up and asked, what's up with this man? The guy sat himself on the chair with a smile on his face. He said his name was Jake. I shook his hand because I didn't know what to do really. So what is this? I'm supposed to tell you all the juicy gossip I've done at Ren Fair, right? No. Okay, then what? What's the game? Well, it's not really a game. It's more of a confession thing. You want me to confess my sins, right? Nope, that's not what we're doing, really. What's the deal, man? Well, we're a group of Christians here on campus, you know? I see, uh, I see this strange place for a group of Christians, but I'm listening. Thanks, I told him. He was being very patient and gracious. Anyway, there's this group of us, just a few of us, who were thinking about the way that Christians have sort of wronged people all over time. You know, the Crusades, all that stuff. Well, I doubt you were personally involved in any of that. No, I wasn't, I told him. But the thing is, we're followers of Jesus. And we believe he represented certain ideas that we've not done a good job at representing. He asked us to represent him well, and we failed in that. I see, Jake said. So there's this group of us on campus that wanted to confess to you. You're confessing to me, Jake said with a laugh. Yeah, we're confessing to you. I I mean, I'm confessing to you. You're serious. His laugh turned to something of a straight face. I told him I was. He looked at me and told me I didn't have to. I told him I did and felt very strongly in that moment that I was supposed to tell Jake that I was sorry for everything. What are you confessing, he asked. Well, there's a lot. I'll keep it short. Jesus said to feed the poor and to heal the sick. I've never done very much about that. Jesus said to love those who persecute me. I tend to lash out, especially if I feel threatened. Jesus did not mix his spirituality with politics. I grew up doing that. I know all of this was wrong, and I know that a lot of people will not listen to the words of Christ because people like me who know him carry our own agendas into the conversation rather than just relying on the message Christ wanted to get across. So I've not been a good follower of Jesus. There's a lot more, you know. It's all right, man. Jake said very tenderly. His eyes were starting to water. Well, I said, clearing my throat. I'm sorry for all that. I forgive you, Jake said, and he meant it. He sat there and looked at the floor, then into the fire of a candle. It's really cool what you guys are doing, he said. A lot of people need to hear this. I don't know whether to thank you for that or not, I laughed. (laughs) I have to sit here and confess all of it. He looked at me very seriously. It's worth it, he said. He shook my hand, and when he left the booth, there was someone else ready to get in. It went like that for a couple hours. I talked to about 30 people, and Tony took confessions on a picnic table outside the booth. Many people wanted to hug me when we were done. All of the people who visited the booth were grateful and gracious. I was being changed through the process. And I think those who came into the booth were being changed too. Here's the thing, and this is me speaking now. (laughs) Us people have always been a part of the solution and a part of the problem all at the same time. We see here in these scriptures about the new Christian movement that was starting, There was bickering about which group of widows was being taken care of enough. Either there was a group being ignored or there was a group that just felt like they weren't getting enough care. Each is really plausible because we see this scenario play out in all kinds of Christian communities today. But there are people who stepped up, leaders who stepped up to be the ones to make sure that everyone was taken care of well and fairly. Their willingness to step up for this leadership allowed the disciples and the early church leaders to to focus on other ministry matters. I, I think the translation at least makes them sound a little snotty in the way that they say that uh, they're not, you know, they don't want to just wait tables. But it allowed the disciples to take up leadership in a different kind of way. This is actually the scripture where we get our ordination of deacons and of ministers. Um, if you if that if you heard that imagery and thought, oh, that sounds familiar, this is where it comes from. The people here were part of the solution and part of the problem. This is what Stephen calls out the Jewish leaders for. They don't like this new Christian movement and the way that it's changing their world. Many of the leaders probably thought it would be over when Jesus was crucified, but here they are. They're still thriving. And at this time, there was no separate church for Christians and for Jews. And so they would have been mingling in worship and mingling in ways that that made it awkward and difficult. We see that throughout the letters of the New Testament. They don't like this movement. They believe it to be heresy, and so they plant an accusation. They told people he'd been speaking out against Moses and God. When Stephen is captured, he uses the opportunity to tell everyone listening what he believes. That's why I wanted Michael to read that really long, long passage, because he goes back to the beginning. He draws Christianity all the way back to the beginning. He tells them about Jesus, but the kicker is that he tells them that they, just like their ancestors, aren't listening to the prophets. They aren't listening to the spirit. He tells them they're part of the larger problem of believers that are hindering the movement of God. As you might would guess, they didn't like that. We never like to hear that we're part of the problem. No one likes to hear that, especially when it comes to God. Those of us inside the church are notorious for wanting special treatment, for being good people, believing that God looks on us with special favor. And the people are the outsides, are learning about the Crusades, the killing of Native Americans, all those things that Donald Miller and his friends asked forgiveness for. If I were to set up a booth today in the middle of Clayton, I'd want to apologize for how the white church in America was founded on principles of racism and imperialism. We are part of the problem in America, as our black and brown brothers and sisters are being killed, are often stuck with no good choices because of generations of racist policies that have made it harder to survive and thrive for generations. We're part of the problem when white Christians in America are significantly less likely to agree that we have a systemic racism problem in America compared to non-Christians and black and brown Christians. I remember being horrified when I learned that the Southern Baptist Convention, the uh, denomination that I grew up in, along with other religious institutions in America, were formed solely to protect the institution of slavery, not missions, not doctrine, other than the doctrine that people that identified as white could own other people. I'd want to apologize for the fact that we need a church movement, like the Me Too movement. We have generations of women who have left the church because of the way that they were treated, for Christian etiquette classes that only taught young women how to behave, for policing what they wore and being given the sole responsibility for the purity of the males, for the churches that teach that a woman's greatest value is in her beauty, her role as a wife and her role as a mother, to which she should devote herself undividedly. For every seminary that blamed uh, seminary leader that blamed uh, the failure of young marriages and inappropriate relationships between students that included assault, rape, abuse within marriage, solely on the woman. For those leaders who said the women must have done something to provoke it shouldn't move forward with charges because how it would harm the young man, should not file for divorce, but should do whatever it took to keep their husband happy. I wish I was making those stories up. For every pastor that we quietly ask to leave, rather than being honest about their abusive behavior, thus leaving other women and men, girls and boys, subject to their abuse. For a Christian cultural movement that has watered down the gospel to just needing to work hard and have faith to get what you want. If you don't have it, you either don't have enough faith or you aren't working hard enough to get it. For sexual abuse in the Catholic Church and the great extent of the cover-up of even high-up leaders who have been involved. Those who moved priests around rather than admitting problems. I'd want to confess more recent conservative movement within the Southern Baptist and other denominations to exclude women from leadership in order to protect their churches and their seminaries from the women's movement and from the civil rights movement, because they were both connected. Why mention all of this? The people in this room and who are watching on YouTube or joining us on Zoom had very little, if anything, to do with these things just like the people Stephen is speaking to, is part of our heritage. It's part of how we got to where we are. And we have to be honest, we have to be humble. We have to be teachable, we have to ask for forgiveness for the things we, we didn't necessarily do, but we do benefit from. When we don't name the mistakes of our ancestors, when we're not willing to face them down and learn from them, we risk repeating them. It may look a little different, but we still risk repeating them. This is the beginning of the Christian faith. It's the generations of our Old Testament ancestors who didn't listen to the prophets. It's the generations of the New Testament ancestors who valued their position and power more than the movement of God. We will learn in coming weeks about how as the Christianity movement expanded, it kept reaching further and further out, making room for those had previously been on the outside. In many cases, they're the outsiders that God had called the Israelites to love and to care for in the Old Testament. We have so watered down the gospel message, the, the message of Jesus to be about behavior management, keeping power, making Jesus just my personal savior that we've tamed it. We've tamed it down to catchy phrases. We put on signs and things, little flags outside of our home. And and there's nothing wrong with that, but it has to be more. We've lost the power and the magic. We've lost just how much it pushed the boundaries in the times of the Old and New Testament, but also how it keeps pushing the boundaries today, calling us to more. I also mention this because whether we like it or not, we are judged in the same light as other Christians. I remember the first time hearing in school about things like the Crusades, the Inquisition, the Salem Witch Trial, European uh, kings and queens who used the church for their own personal comfort and whims. I remember being overwhelmed, but I also remember thinking that we were good American evangelicals, and so we were different from them. But we weren't. We have our own stuff, too. And people know about it. There are people who have heard and who have experienced firsthand the shadow side of the church. And this is the invitation of Christianity. To reach out to them, to be honest, to be humble, full of love. The miracle, though, the proof that all of this is more than just something we do to feel good about ourselves. If you ever wondered if Christianity had any meat to it, the fact that it keeps going no matter what we try to do to it speaks to the power of Christianity. Despite all the wrong things, despite the ways that we have, it has been misrepresented, the Christian movement keeps going. And we're invited to be a part of that really very real movement. In order to do that, we have to face the whispers of our ancestors, of our contemporaries, and the ways they don't represent Jesus. But we might find a little racist ideal, ideology, a little sexist ideology, a little love of the power that we like that motivates the way we judge others and see and operate in the world, if we're really honest. We can't fix all the sins of the world, and that is not what I'm saying this morning. And Jesus didn't ask us to take that on. That's not our job. But in order to really be part of this world-altering movement, we have to be humble, keep learning, and keep asking for forgiveness from others. That is the gospel, that none of us are perfect. And we will do our own work to know how to better, better represent this Jesus movement that we're a part of. Take heart, Christianity will survive us. <laughs> But the invitation this morning is to be a part of something bigger than yourself. That invitation comes knowing that sometimes you'll be a part of the solution and sometimes you'll be a part of the problem and we should have humility about both. May we live in that grace as we continue to learn how to do this Christian walk more and more faithfully. Will you pray with me?